0: Chapter 2 of And So They Were Married by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. When Samuel Herrick Brewster, B.S. and civil engineer, later the Massachusetts School of Technology, came to Innisfield for the purpose of joining the Corps of Engineers, already at work on a new and improved system of waterworks, he had not the slightest intention of falling seriously in love. By seriously, Sam Brewster himself might have told you, as he told his married sister, living in Saginaw, Michigan, and anxiously solicitous of the young man's general well-being, that he meant that sort and quality of affection which would naturally and inevitably lead a man into matrimony. He had always been fond of the society of pretty and amiable women, and well used to it too. His further ideas with regard to matrimony, though delightfully vague in their general character, was sufficiently clear-cut and decided in one important particular, which he had been careful to expound at length, to those impetus undergraduates of his fraternity, who had appeared to need friendly counsel from their elders. A man, said young Brewster, conclusively, has no business to marry till he can feel solid ground under his feet. He should be thoroughly established in his profession and well able to pay the shot. When this sapient young gentleman first met Elizabeth North, at a picnic given by the leading citizens of Innisfield to celebrate the completion of the new aqueduct, he was disposed to regard her as a very nice, intelligent sort of girl with remarkably handsome brown eyes. On the occasion of his third meeting with the young lady, he found himself, rather to his surprise, telling her about his successful work in the Tet and of how he hoped to get somewhere in his profession some day. Elizabeth, in her turn, had confided to him her disappointment in not being able to go to Wellesley and her ambitious attempts to keep up with Marion Evans, who was in the sophomore year in literature and music. She played Chopin's Fantasia Impromptu for him on Mrs. North's garrulous old piano and as her slender fingers twinkled over the yellow keys, he caught himself wondering how much a first-class instrument would cost. In the course of a month he had fallen into the habit of strolling home with Elizabeth after church, and twice Mrs North, in the kindness of her motherly heart, had asked him to dinner. She was afraid, she told Grandma Carol, that the table board at Mrs Bentwick's was none of the best. She spoke of him further as that nice good-looking boy, and hoped he wouldn't be too lonely in Innisfield, away from all his friends. As for Dr North, that overworked physician was seldom to be seen, being apparently in a chronic state of hastily and energetically climbing into his gig and as energetically and hastily climbing out again he had hurriedly shaken hands with young brewster and made him welcome to his house in one of the brief intervals between office hours and the ever-waiting gig with its imperturbable brown horse who appeared to know quite as well as the doctor where the sick were to be found after that it is fair to state the worthy doctor had completely forgotten that such a person as Samuel Herrick Brewster, B.S.C.E., existed. One may judge, therefore, of his feelings when his wife chose a moment of relaxation between a carefully cooked dinner and an expected summons by telephone to acquaint him with the fact of their daughter's engagement. "'Engaged?' exclaimed the doctor, starting out of his chair. "'Bess? Engaged? Oh, I guess not. "'I shan't allow anything of the sort. "'She's nothing but a child, and as for this young fellow,' what do you say his name was we don't know him you don't you mean papa his wife corrected him gently the rest of us have seen a good deal of mr brewster and i'm sure bessie now mother what made you i wanted to tell daddy myself oh daddy he's the dearest person in the world then as elizabeth caught the hurt bewildered look in her father's eyes she perched on his knee in the old familiar fashion "'It seems sudden to you, I know,' she murmured. "'But really it isn't, Daddy, "'as he will tell you if he can ever find you at home to talk to. "'Why, we've known each other since last summer.' "'I'm afraid I'm very stupid, child, "'but I don't believe I understand. "'You don't mean to tell me that you have been thinking of, "'of getting married, and to a man I don't know even?' "'Dr. North shook his head decidedly. "'But you do know him, Daddy. "'He's been here ever so many times.' "'Of course,' she added with a touch of laughing malice, He's perfectly well, and you seldom notice well, people, even when they're in your own family. I don't have time, Bess, admitted the doctor soberly. There are too many of the other sort. But now, about this young man, Brewster, eh? You have him come round in office hours, say, and I'll... Now, Daddy, please don't straighten out your mouth like that. It isn't a bit becoming. Naturally, you've got the sweetest, kindest look in the world, and you mustn't spoil it, especially when you are talking about Sam. The doctor pinched his daughter's pink ear. I'm sorry to appear such an ogre, he said, with a touch of grimness, but I know too much about the world in general, and the business of getting married in particular, to allow my one daughter to go into it blindly. I'll be obliged to make the young man's further acquaintance, Bess, before we talk about an engagement. The girl's scarlet lips were set in firm lines, which strongly resembled the paternal expression to which she had objected. She kissed her father dutifully. I want you to get acquainted with him, Daddy, she said sweetly, but we are engaged. That same afternoon, Dr North, looking worried and anxious after a prolonged conference with the village hypochondriac, who had come to the office fully charged with symptoms of a new and distinguished disease lately imported from Europe, found himself face to face with a tall, fresh-faced young man. This new visitor came into the office bringing with him a breath of the wintry air and a general appearance of breezy health, which caused the hypochondriac to look up sourly in the act of putting on her rubbers. "'If that new medicine doesn't relieve that terrible feeling in my epigastrium, Doctor, and I don't believe it's a-going to, I'll let you know,' she remarked acidly. "'You needn't be surprised to be called most any time between now and morning, for as I told Mr. Salter, I ain't a-going to suffer as I did last night for nobody.' "'Good afternoon, Mrs. Salter,' said the doctor emphatically. "'Now then, young man, what can I do for you?' The young man in question coloured boyishly. I shouldn't have ventured to call upon you during your office hours, Dr North, but I understood from Elizabeth that you could be seen at no other time, so I'm here. Elizabeth, eh? Yes, yes, I see. I uh, didn't recall your face for the moment. Just come into my private office for a minute or two, Mr Brewster. These um, other patients will wait a bit, I fancy. The worthy doctor handed his visitor a chair facing the light which he further increased by impatiently shoving the shades to the top of the windows then he seated himself and stared keenly at the young engineer who on his part bore the scrutiny with a sturdy self-possession which pleased the doctor in spite of himself elizabeth told you of our engagement i believe sir she told me something of the sort yes admitted the doctor testily i said to her that i couldn't and wouldn't consider an engagement between you at present did she tell you that I was told that you wished to make my further acquaintance. I should like, if you have the time, to tell you something about myself. You have the right to know. The doctor nodded frowningly. If you expect me, at any time in the future, you understand, to give you my only daughter, I certainly am entitled to know everything. The young man looked the doctor squarely in the eyes during the longish pause that followed. There isn't much to tell, he said. My father and mother are dead. I have one sister older than I. Married to one of the best fellows in the world and living west. I made my home with them till I came to the tech. You can ask any of the professors there about me. They'll tell you that I worked. I graduated a year ago last June. Since then I've been at work at my profession. I'm getting twelve hundred a year now, but stop right there. Why did you ask my girl to marry you? Because I loved her. Hm. And she uh fancies that she loves you, eh? A dark flush swept over Samuel Brewster's ingenuous young face. "'She does love me,' was all he said. But he said it in a tone which suddenly brought back the older man's vanished youth. There was a short silence. Then the doctor arose so abruptly that he nearly upset his chair. "'Well,' he said, "'I've got to go to Boston tomorrow on a case, "'and I'll see those professors of yours for one thing. "'I know Collins well, "'not that he or anybody else can tell me all about you, "'not by a long shot.' "'I know boys and young men well enough for that. "'But you see, sir, I love my girl too, "'and I, I'll say good afternoon, sir.' "'He threw the door open with an impatient hand. "'Ah, Mrs. Tewksbury, you're next, I believe. "'Walk right in.' "'An hour later, when the door had finally closed "'on his last patient, Dr. North sat still in his chair, "'apparently lost in thought. "'His dinner was waiting, he knew, "'and a round of visits must be made immediately thereafter, "'yet he did not stir.' He was thinking, curiously enough, of the time when his daughter Elizabeth was a baby. What a round, pink little face she had, to be sure, and what a strong, healthy, plump little body. He could almost hear the unsteady feet toddling across the breadth of dingy oilcloth, which carpeted his office floor. Daddy, Daddy! Her sweet, imperious voice was crying. I'm tummy to see you, Daddy. His eyes were wet when he finally stumbled to his feet. Then suddenly he felt a pair of warm arms about his neck, and a dozen butterfly kisses dropped on his cheeks, his hair, his forehead. Daddy dear, he came, didn't he? I saw him go away. I hope you weren't cruel to him. Oh, Daddy. No, daughter, I wasn't exactly cruel to him. But didn't the young man stop to talk it over with you? No, Daddy, I thought he would, of course, but he just waved his hand for good bye, and I was frightened for fear. Didn't stop to talk it over, eh? Say, I like that. To tell you the truth, Bess, I rather like him good clear steady eyes good all-round constitution i should say and if-oh come come child we'd better be getting into dinner or your mother will be anxious but i want you to understand miss that your old daddy has no notion of playing second fiddle to any youngster's first however tall and good-looking he may be and singularly enough elizabeth appeared to be perfectly satisfied with this paternal dictum i knew you'd like him she said "'slipping her small hand into her father's big one "'in the little girl fashion she had never lost. "'Why, Daddy, he's the best man I ever knew. "'Except you, of course. "'He told me,' the girl's voice dropped to an awed whisper, "'that he promised his mother when she was dying "'that he would never do a mean or dishonest thing. "'And, and he says, Daddy, "'that whenever he has been tempted to do wrong, "'he has felt his mother's eyes looking at him "'so that he couldn't. "'Anybody would know he was good just from seeing him. Hmm. Well, well, that may be so. I'll talk to Collins and see what he has to say. Collins is a man of very good judgment. I value his opinion highly. Don't you value mine, Daddy? asked Elizabeth, with an irresistible dimple appearing and disappearing at the corner of her mouth. On some subjects, my dear, replied the doctor soberly, but uh, on this particular one, I fancy you might be slightly prejudiced. End of chapter two. Recording by Michelle Eaton.